All right, folks, welcome back. Welcome to Thirsty Thursday, number 40. And we're very pleased to have uh, Lieutenant Basil Ibrahim with us from Orlando Fire Department, Lieutenant on Engine 1. Um, he's going to talk to us a little bit tonight about his upcoming program at FDIC. He's got the um, program called One Bad Day, uh, the Proactive Mindset and RIT Operations. So with that, Basil, uh, give us a little intro and background on yourself, if you would. Okay. Hey, Chief. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm uh, excited to have this uh, talk with you guys tonight. Uh, well, my name is Basil Abraham. Uh work for Orlando Fire. I'm on uh, Tower One, downtown uh, Orlando on C-Shift. Uh, been in the fire service for uh, 18 years, and uh, I love the job. There's, I don't even consider it a job. It's it's my hobby. My, my co-workers, my my friends, they think I'm all weird, but I, I truly, truly enjoy it. So uh, it's it's been a really, really good career so far. It's like I started yesterday, and uh, I'm a student of the game. So nonstop learning. I uh, got promoted to uh, lieutenant, which is a company officer in our department on suppression units about a year and a half ago. Uh, went to Engine 1, which I am not a good engine guy. I spent most of my career on... Uh, uh, truck companies or heavies or squads, uh, even in my old department. And, uh, you know, I did some engine work uh, when I got promoted and uh, now I'm back on the truck. So it's uh, I'm in my happy place. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited. Excited. That's about it, man. Not much. Not much besides that. Excellent, man. Well, thanks again for joining us. And uh, for those of you who've been tuning in previously, uh, Mike's going to join us here momentarily. He got called back into work in Baltimore, and Bobby should be on momentarily as well. Um, so with that, I wanted to talk to you, Basil, a little bit about your class coming up. Uh, I know you do a variety of different things. You and I had spoken a few months back about some of the uh, air management practices and some of the things you were looking at with SCBA, um, and that all dovetails into the RIT operations uh, that you're doing. So with your class out there, uh, real quick, I'll, I'll give you a shameless plug. Uh, I believe it's on April 27th at, was it 3, three o'clock to 5.15? It's, uh, yeah, it's on uh, Wednesday the 27th from 3.30 to 5.15. Okay, yeah, all the weird uh, FDIC schedules yeah. out there. So, That's right. um, and I don't, know if, I don't know if you have a room assignment yet out there, but, um, you know, definitely if you're, if you're out there at FDIC this year, please stop by and check it out. And I see our brother uh, Bobby McGee has come uh, on. So, what's up, brother? How you doing? Hey, how you guys? Uh, sorry I'm late. I'm running around, running the family around. So uh, uh, good right. to meet you there, sir. Um, Likewise, sir. Thank you for having me. Excited, excited to hear what we, we're going to talk about tonight. Yep. All righty. And uh, for those of you wondering where Ben is tonight, I usually have a smart-ass quip about him being at a you know a Dungeons & Dragons <laughs> uh, you know convention or you know Comic-Con or something. But he's actually uh, about an hour north of me right now. Him and his wife are enjoying their uh, belated honeymoon. So... Uh, good on him. And you know, before we uh, keep going a little further, uh, one of our brothers from Salisbury, Maryland Fire Department, uh, Assistant Chief Rob Franklin, he just graduated from the Executive Fire Officer Program today. And uh, he's been on the show. Great guy, great firefighter. So very proud of him and uh, you wish him congratulations. So um, while we're waiting for Bobby to come back, because I guarantee um, he's going to go ahead and pour himself an adult beverage. Um, Basil, talk talk to us about this writ class coming up. What what do you got going on? Is it is it lecture? Is it uh, hot? A little combination of both. What do you got? All right. So the FDIC uh, program uh, that we're presenting, uh, the one bad day at FDIC is going to be a lecture. It's a presentation, uh, and uh, obviously, uh, I only I got the hour and forty five minute session, so it's going to be the very abbreviated version of the normal you know four to eight hour workshop that we do. But essentially, uh, my goal of teaching this class is to really change the mindset of rate operations being viewed as a check-the-box assignment or a punishment function on the fire ground. Uh, so nationally, that's how we that's how we see that function. That rate is just a boring. You know, you show up a third, fourth engine, or you know tower that comes in late all right okay you're gonna be right just go stand by there and uh, do nothing well i just want to change that mindset you know and it's always going to be based off of fact and data 
and uh, trial and error and everything is based on the clock. Like you and I talked on the pre-show, uh, you know, time is uh, one of the biggest enemies of the fire service. So uh, it's data driven. Uh, we're going to talk uh, to really understand how RIT works. You need to dive into the survival aspect. You need to dive into the stress response physiology, because if you understand how how your body and how the victim's body going to react to stress, uh, you know, you, you'll be able to affect the rescue better. So we're going to talk about a little bit of that in the class. Uh, we'll talk about uh, calling out maydays and some of the misconceptions uh, that are there being taught, like Lunar and all the, these things, uh, you know, switching tack channel versus not switching tack channel. And then we'll dive into the actual RIT rescue itself, uh, you know, from the command aspect all the way down to, you know, uh, tactics of area management and packaging, but we're just going to scrape the surface because we don't have time in an hour and a half, you know, uh, you know, we just don't have the time and it's going to be very interactive. Uh, we're going to listen to some audios, watch some videos, and there's going to be some discussions. It's not, I'm not going to be behind that podium, just sitting there and reading a PowerPoint. I, I can't do that. And I can't stand presenters that do it that way. So that's uh, the, the class that's going to be at FDIC. We're also doing a hot portion at FDIC, but that's uh, it's a search class, the a primary search making the grab. Uh, and we're, I'm teaching the VES portion of that with Grant Schwalbe uh, and those guys. We've been doing that for uh, three or four years now with them. But it's my first time presenting at FDIC, so I'm, I'm really excited. Yeah, well, congratulations, brother. That's awesome. And there sounds like there's going to be some great nuggets coming out of that class. Um, Bobby and I had the same conversation. It's it's great to have uh, you know, other people to think very similarly. But uh, you used a very important word earlier when you talked about the mindset of RIT. And I want you to, if you could, break that down. You Give us a, a view through your lens with it. Uh, I agree with you about the checkbox thing. Uh, nothing ticks me off more than when it's all focused on that that tactical uh, command board or that tactical checklist that we have to go down. And one of the biggest issues I see is that a lot of maydays, a lot of writ situations occur before the formal writ team or the fast truck, fast engine, whatever you want to call them, is in place and ready to go. And again, like you said, there's the firefighters will be sitting there in the in the staging area with writ ringing the handle off of an axe because they want to go to work. That's that's right. their nature. That's that's how they're wired. But they don't sometimes realize the importance of that assignment. Um, you know, have they gone around and looked at softening the building? Have they done a 360? Have they determined if if you if this then that? What are we going to do? Bobby's really big on you know data points and time training as well. So um, you know, basically, what 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 is what is your mindset as that company level officer? If if you're either in charge of RIT or you're considering it as that first arriving unit. Uh, Show us through your lens. Like what 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 are you thinking versus the tactical check sheet? What is what is your priority list when you get on the scene? Okay, so first of all, the the name of the game, what's going to win it, is pre planning. Okay, pre planning, and I don't mean just pre planning the structure and the building, but I mean pre planning it with your crews on who's going to do what and when. Uh, but really, it's being proactive once you get on scene. If you're a Sandra and you you get on scene, you can do RIT functions without being deployed, if that makes any sense. All right. You need to be proactive, moving with a purpose, surveying that building, softening up that structure. We do split 360s to get multiple eyes on a structure. And now again, it's going to be dependent on your resources. It's going to be dependent on the size of your structure, residential versus commercial versus high rise. I mean, I'm just giving you a bread and butter residential type rate operation for us you know tactics are local okay your tactics are going to be different than my tactics because you have different type of buildings you have different type of staffing resources and all of that but everybody can do rate in a proactive manner you can just get out there get eyes on the building size up that building think about how you're going to take that building apart to gain access or to create egress before it even happens don't lay a tarp out on the ground with every single tool you have on your rig and wait there with your hook next to command on the front yard no that you're that that is not right 
Now, if you have the staffing to have a secondary rate crew stage with all these additional equipment, sure. But your primary rate company needs to soften up that building. I've always said that the main goal of the rate company is to prevent that mayday from happening. Now, you're not going to be able to do that on all emergencies. Obviously, if there's a sudden change of condition, a collapse or a medical emergency, you know, we can't prevent that. But what can we do? We can be ready to make access and get in there and get those guys out. Okay. Now, uh, talking about data, look at the data. I mean, I'm not making this up. It's not just my opinion. If you look at the statistics from Project Made, the, the latest numbers came out in March here. You know, who makes the rescue most of the time? Well, they rescue themselves or an interior company, either their crews or another company operating on the inside, and then the RIT team that's on the outside. So those numbers tell me two things. One, everybody on the fire ground needs to have a level of survival and RIT operation training because not just the RIT team is going to affect the rescue. And two, the closer you are to the victim, the higher chance of survival they're going to have. So why just stage far away by command or wherever waiting for activation with all these tools that you may not even need? You, may, you don't need a Stokes basket with a jackhammer and all these crazy things. If you go into a single-story residential wood frame shotgun shack in the ghetto, you don't need that. You know, pick the appropriate tools for the structure that you're going to go into and then go. Go to work. Okay, I'm doing and I know I'm now I'm, I'm going to you got me going to a, an, another topic here that I'll talk to you in private about. But I'm doing a study, a research study on weight, how much weight we're carrying as firemen, like our air, our air packs, our air bottle, all the tools and everything. Right. We, we always want to do. Oh, we need we need better gear that protect us from more heat. And then bigger air packs that have more air. And let's carry all these tools. And, and our rip pack weighs 42 uh, pounds and all, all this crap. No, man. Well, I'm not going to say no yet because I'm not done with the, the study or the research. But I'm comparing weight and performance. And I'm putting it on the clock. So we can talk about that, you know, later, like with the data. I started doing it about a month and a half ago. And so far, it's pretty interesting. Uh, so far, it's looking like even using a 30-minute bottle, I'm able, a 30-minute bottle with lighter gear, I'm able to complete more rounds of a functional circuit than I am with a heavy 45-minute bottle with all this equipment and stuff on me and a heavier gear. So we'll, we'll talk about that at a different time. But as far as rate goes, my mindset is just be proactive and just be ready to get deployed anytime. Okay. Create egress. Now don't just open up and force doors, but unlock them. Okay. Don't disturb that fire behavior. If there's windows, throw ladders to them. If uh, you know, just, be mobile and stage yourself in the area of concern. Don't just do a 360 and go back, sit on the front side. No, go around and, and be mobile. Listen up to the radio and pay attention. You know, just be there for the guys. There, There is this other aspect of it. And there's a lot of people that I really, really respect that disagree with me on this. And they like the standby kind of it because they say, well, you know, we want to keep our guys fresh. And, you know, when they get deployed, I want them fresh and ready to go. I understand that. But this is why we cannot lower the standard to be a firefighter. This job is physically demanding and it's hard. It's hard. Okay. So to me, doing these proactive functions are not something that should get you tired. It's I call it being primed. Now you're ready to go to work. It's like I'm warmed up. The key is, as a company officer, I need to make sure that my guys don't overcommit. We can't be VSing and looking for people inside and, you know, helping the engine crew doing this. 
on the inside no we have we have to be able to be disciplined can you guys hear me did i freeze uh, that was great that's awesome yeah um and i think you know part of the challenge with uh a writ um which i think we'd all agree is is, is some advanced skills um is that uh, we we have a fire service with a lot of guys that and girls that, that don't give that full commitment, and so um, we, we really need the full commitment for uh, how to stretch a hand line, uh, how to maintain orientation inside the building, uh, how to self rescue. Um, what are you going to do if you got to go out a third floor window and there's not a ladder there? You know those types of things, and and I think that RIT in general is what we'd really like to have on that writ is, a, is, is the guys and girls that get, they, they buy into the job, you know, and, um, and, and, and kind of grow from there. I, up in Delaware, when they were beginning to do the, the writ uh, programs up here, um, I went and tested with them and they went through this thing and he wanted you to do a whole bunch of, um, remember the ant farm kind of stuff, Trevor, the things that we used to do a bunch of skills all together, you know, hoisting the hose up and, you know, uh, carrying a chainsaw across the raft or that kind of stuff um, to, to see where we were physically. And they actually want to develop this a physical standard for RIT, and they wanted to certify uh, people in RIT in, in the state. And then they wanted to have this this list of or people like if you went to if you were if your assignment was going to be RIT, um, which is our third due company here in Delaware, if your job was to be RIT, then, then you need to have X amount of people that were certified in RIT. And the program was like a better spin on how to maintain orientation inside of a building. There's a better spin on how to pull firefighters out. There's a better spin on, there's no doubt about those are all good. And I remember I argued with him. I thought, well, it, why would I take people that were best at maintaining orientation inside of a building and camp them in the front yard? And so I had a fundamental difference with, with, with the general writ concept was, um, a lot of what had, I, I think the most successful May Day is the one that doesn't occur. That's right. And, and I, you know, I think it's, 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 you know, uh, you know, guys are trying to search the second floor from the truck and the, the, the hose lines of spaghetti in the front yard, bad things happen. And then we have a May Day and we go, we had a May Day. How do we handle the May Day? Well, you didn't handle the hose line, you know, and th- those little things mean such a big deal um, in the fire service. And I will say there's no doubt about it. If, if you don't have a particular skill set, to get someone out of a four foot hole or an eight foot hole or out a window or onto a ladder, it is not going to magically appear in your time of need. Uh, Um, It's just not going to happen. And uh, I think we all watch movies and we see stewardesses step up in the, in time of flight and they kill all the (laughs) terrorists and all that, which is just not, you talked about it earlier. It's not how the brain works. Uh, the, the, The brain resorts to pulling back into your level of training um, I, what you say, you have a saying for that, Trevor, I forget it's, um, you fall back to your level of training. I think is what you say all the time. Yeah. You, and that's, you don't, you don't rise to the moment you fall back to your level of training. Right, right, right. And, and everybody, if we're all honest with each other, we all know when the, the field, the vision narrows and you're staring at a pump panel, you've seen a hundred times and all of a sudden you can't find the valve you got to pull or, you know, right. everyone's had those experiences. We just don't admit it cause we're firefighters, yeah. <laughs> but, um, it's really, really good stuff. So, um, Talk to us about um, uh, how you how you attack RIT with the crews inside of the building. Are you going to talk about that out there too a little bit? So it's it's all going to depend on the obviously the emergency, what type of RIT emergency it, it is. You know whether it's a medical an entrapment or collapse or you know a, a flashover, whatever the case is. But what what we try to do is we try to keep it simple, really simple most of the time wins it. Uh, it's not because we know all these techniques and we have ropes and mechanical advantage and all these cool tools that we have to use them, right? So I, I, tell, I tell my guys, and when we teach the classes, if, you, if the rate company goes in to find me and they locate me like 15 feet into the structure with a relatively clear egress path, and what are they going to do? Nothing. Grab me and drag me out. Like literally grab me with whatever you can and drag me out. You can figure out the problem on the outside. Right. Uh, but you, besides that, you have to, you know, we, we talk about sizing up your structure. Building construction is super important. Uh, accessing the building, 
you don't necessarily have to access the structure the same way everybody else went in. Uh, how to locate your your down firefighter uh, and then troubleshooting. This is where you're going to figure out what the problem is and the, the troubleshooting process. You know, we can go in detail uh, about it, but it really takes about a minute to do. So you're looking, you're talking to them, first of all. When you get to the victim, the first thing you're going to do, if their past device is going off, you're going to turn that thing off. That's the first thing you're going to do before checking for air or anything. Turn that past device off because that subconsciously, without even you knowing, it increases your heart rate, it increases the stress level. Turn that thing off. And also it increases communication. You're able to communicate with the victim, with your crew, and with command on the radio a lot better. So once you're done with that, talk to the Talk to the victim. They're a human. We, I've seen it countless times where, and by the way, in our classes, we only use live victims. We never use uh, mannequins because that creates training scars. And I cannot, I can't stand that. I know NFPA in 1403 puts regulations on us and ties our hand with live fire and all these things. But I truly believe that training with mannequin without having the skill set almost perfected quote unquote is a disservice and a false it builds a false sense of security okay because you're dragging the victims by their head you're stepping on their chest you're you're pulling them the wrong way that mannequin is not going to talk back to you but if you use yourself or your buddies as the victim they will tell you hey man like you're literally about you're choking me right now or you're about to pop my arm out or your your mask seal isn't even on me. I'm leaking air everywhere. You cannot quantify all those things on a mannequin because it won't talk back to you. It won't let you know. So to get back to the, the rate assessment of troubleshooting, talk to them, right? If the victim is able to talk, they're going to talk back to you, okay? But assess their mental status, assess their mentation, because we've had documented line of duty deaths where they were altered and gave the wrong information. And next thing you know, they go about their business or they, they located the wrong uh, down fireman, you know. So get their mentation, figure out who they are, their name, their assignment, uh, and confirm that with command. If they're not able to talk, if they're unconscious, well, tr still try to get their name. You know, everybody's nowadays got their name on their jackets or their identifier on their shield or whatever the case may be. Try to figure out who that person is and relay that to command so we can have an accountability box, right? So now, how many victims do we have? Uh, and then are they conscious? If they're conscious, we talk to them. If they're not conscious, we're going to assess for breathing. Uh, are they breathing? And then after that, we go about checking how much air they have left in their bottle. You know, is their face piece intact, regulator intact? Uh, checking for any entrapment or any entanglement. Uh, and then we go to work. We figure out if it's if there's an airway problem we got to take care of, then, you know, figure out if it's a high pressure problem or low pressure problem, address it. We need to prioritize the rescue task, if that makes any sense. So if there is an airway problem and an entrapment problem, we need to fix the airway first because theoretically, as long as that person has air, then we have longer to mitigate the extraction. Uh, and again, we're, it's very difficult to say always and never when it comes to that because we don't know the type of structure. We still have to think about the fire, the actual fire that's going on. Is that getting better? Is that getting worse? But I'm just talking in general. Uh, and essentially, after that, we, we have assignments. So we operate with a RIT crew of four. So we're lucky to have the manpower for it. Uh, but the assignments would be your company officer, which is the obviously the overall uh, in charge of the rescue and the liaison with uh, command, the uh, an airway firefighter, a package firefighter, and then an egress uh, firefighter to locate, uh, you know, maybe a secondary or closest way to get out. Uh, and then after that, we all work together and, and get the job done. But if you don't train 
if you don't train with your crews uh, and add some stress into your training, when it's time for you to perform, you're not going to be able to do it. You're not. And, and, and it doesn't matter how much you do it, how much you train, it's not going to replicate on the fire ground. I promise you. And Bezos, I want to I want to ask you and, and Bobby to chime in on this as well. Um, two things. You talk a lot about training in this, which is things vitally important. And it's not just you know what we train on, but how we train. And one of the disconnects I've seen from a lot of training officers, training institutions, statewide academies, whomever, is we don't explain the why behind things to what we're doing. Same thing if we have a down firefighter 15 feet inside the building. And as instructors, we'll say, this is a, you have to transfill the bottle. You have to replace the mask. And I'm the same way as you, unless we're constrained by standard. Um, I use myself as a victim quite a bit. And I've had some people do a mask replacement. My ear has gotten more air than my face ever has. And wow. that's tangible. Um, but at the same time, if, if the goal of the training was to buddy breathe, then we need to explain to them, hey, the goal of the training is to buddy breathe. Let's do this. But if that firefighter is 15 feet inside the door and you've got a clear path, they're not otherwise um, entangled, pinned, or you know, disabled where they, we can't get them out, let's not screw around for 15 minutes trying to transfill a bottle or switch regulators or replace their mask. So, But we yell at them so much on the, fire, on the training ground sometime. Uh, as a side, I, I want to get your thoughts on you know, how, how we break that cycle in training to get more realistic training. Um, quick side note, my crew was uh, disqualified during speed. You remember speed drills, Bobby? When we, um, we were, t same thing, we were told to get air to a downed firefighter on the second floor of an apartment building. They had smoked out. It was, it was a competition drill we were doing amongst our department. And we went up, found the downed firefighter. I, I took, the, uh, took the hook, took the glass out. We took the firefighter through uh, the, the mannequin out on the porch roof. And we got disqualified. Oh, no, you were supposed to, like, you said get air to the downed firefighter. There's 21% out there here, relative safety out there. But that was the mindset that, you know, you were going to get punished for not. So the why behind it, the other thing I want you guys, um, the second issue I want you to talk about, going back to that management of the RIT team. Um, let's say you guys are in charge of the RIT team and you've got you know, your people all ready to go. They're 90% ready. You know, the only thing they're not doing is breathing air. They've softened the building that they're just ready for something to happen. And then uh, a guy like me comes along and says, hey, I need two people to go around back and throw that ladder. Well, that might be great, but you're not getting those two people back because me as a firefighter, unless I got to come back to that writ, that's the mindset that's been ingrained in us. So what do you do with a with an officer, an instant commander who starts cherry picking out of your crew? And, you know, you had you had your battle plan ready to go. And now all of a sudden I've you know, I've taken two people out of out of your off your bench. So if right. you guys, if you guys could talk about kind of those two issues, that'd be great. So the. uh I'll talk about that one real quick since that's in my head. I already forgot the first question you asked, but <laughs> so we'll get, we'll, get, we'll get back to it. We're good. There, there you go. So uh, we are lucky that we have uh, standard SOPs almost predetermined before uh, we show up to every every fire. Uh, so if we're assigned rate that unless there is something that is uh, like critical, you know, like hey, victims hanging out that window or whatever the case may be, our incident commanders are not going to divide our rig crew up to go do other tasks. So, uh, but if there is a victim hanging out, I'm going to get the victim. I'll, I'll send two of my guys to go out there and get that victim out because I'm not prioritizing firefighters and rig operation over the main reason why we're there in the first place. We are there for the citizens and the, the residents and the visitors. That's the main goal. I'm just trying to augment the uh, success of the operation overall and prevent you know, injuries and deaths to, to firemen. But uh, so if it's a life safety issue, they can take my guys to go take care of that problem. Now, if they just need two of my guys to go help uh, you know, the fourth engine company uh, hook up to a plug to supply the third tower truck, for defensive operations somewhere else, well, they can get somebody else to do that because that's not a time-sensitive matter. So in my opinion, if, if I was that, you know, writ officer, 
respectfully, I would tell that chief, chief, is this something that you need like right now? Like, is it time sensitive? Is it critical? If it's not, then my position, I believe in writ enough that it's it's more important for me to be ready for a potential uh, rescue than to go do something less critical that we can wa waste time on. Does that make sense? I'm not sure if I'm explaining it yeah, right. It, 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 make, it makes perfect sense. And yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Un unfortunately, because of short staffing in a lot of departments, that's not, and Bobby can tell you as well, that's not an unusual occurrence. Um, and it's it's great to hear that, you know, you can you can say, hey, you know, again, re respectfully, but hey, chief, if I, you're thinking this, well, if I make this decision, I agree with you, then we'll both be wrong. But hey, that's that's another story another time. But right. um, and then going back to the, the first question is, uh, you know, explaining the why behind what we do so that, you know, when, when it's time to react, we're reacting appropriately because firefighters will, will do they'll perform exactly how they're trained. That's the greatest thing about firefighters. Yeah. The worst thing about firefighters is we'll perform exactly how we're trained. We, we are rats in a maze. So talk, talk, talk about training the rats. How, how, how do we out train biology with our, with our firefighters so that they do the right thing at the right time? So really, I, I truly believe that it, just like you, I 100% agree that you have to explain the why. In order for that, you cannot start off the training by running. You have to start, you have to do training in that crawl, walk, run approach in repetition and repetition and repetition. Uh, if you start off the training without setting clear expectations, like, like you stated earlier, I mean, you gave the answers in your question, really, uh, is you have to give the expectation. What is the goal of this drill? What is the, the goal of this training? And then give the guys the tools and the time and the parameters to operate before you set them free. Now, there is, there is another really good type of training that you can do, which is, I, I call it like a challenge where you just show up and I don't even tell the guys what we're doing. And it's, hey, you're being dispatched over here, go, right? That's a different type of thinking that you're, you're adding all the stuff that you learn in the crawl and walk, and now you're running with it. But you have to set the parameters early in those basic uh, training sessions in order for them to learn the the why. And, and that's how I think you, you build that confidence with them. Because if you start off right away, you know, smacking them down and, you know, go, 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 then they're not going to they're going to shut down. They're not going to be receptive. And next thing you know, they're just going to just give up, uh, you know, but that. I also believe that this whole thing, it, it, we need to start, and this is another, another pet peeve of mine, is that leadership, we have this, this hands-off leaders out there where, oh, I'm a company officer or I'm a chief. I'm, I don't do anymore. I tell you what to do. And then all of that. To me, I have to, for, for me to respect you and trust you and, and to believe the stuff that you're telling me and teaching me, you have to walk that, that talk. So I, I believe in a hands-on leadership approach, not micromanaging, but hands-on. If you're out there teaching or showing them something, don't say it with just your mouth. Get out there and then do it. Now, you may not do it as good or as fast as you used to do it back when you were you know, a fireman or younger or all that, but at least you're getting down there and then you're doing the work with the crews. I really think that that goes a long ways, at least in my book and then with the guys at my firehouse. I, I truly believe it. Uh, the other thing is, is that as far as leadership goes in training, I want to develop my, my crew to be critical thinking firefighters. Okay, if, if I just drop dead right now on a call, they should just be able to take over and everything would be just fine. That's my goal. I want to make them better than I am so they can replace me or understand everything that, that I'm thinking and we're thinking, right? My, my definition of leadership, and, and I quoted that before, is empowering your people by giving them knowledge, freedom, and autonomy. That's my definition of 
of leadership. And we need to do a better job at that as, as a fire service, leading from the front and developing our people. Succession planning is huge, and we're missing the mark on that in a lot of different ways, a lot of different ranks. You know, uh, we're, we're, the fire service is some, it's, it's two things it's re, we're reactive and we're impatient. That's what we are. So we want to we want to put in the time and we want to see results right now. Well, that's not really how it works. You know, you have to put in the time and over time, you may not see the, you know, the results of your the fruits of your labor till two, three years down the road. It may take a generation to change the mentality, the culture, or, but that cycle has to start somewhere. Uh, and and we, we got to do that. We got to do that. Absolutely. Bobby, your thoughts on that? Uh, I, I couldn't agree more with you. Um, uh, um, I think that, that, you know, if we're going to talk about it, uh, we're going to, we, we need to be able to do it. Um, I, I know that uh, we, I think Trevor, I think you were still working with us back then. Uh, we were doing some firefighter safety and survival stuff in Ocean City. And um, we had a bunch of guys want to be instructors. We run into that thing where some guys want to instruct, so they don't have to do. Um, and and we, we thought that might be a problem. So I got overtime authorized for anyone that wanted to be an instructor to come out like the, the, the week before. And so if you're going to teach uh, going out a uh, second floor window, you're going to do it six times. If you're going to teach any, any of those techniques. And, and so what it did was it quickly weaned off those guys. They'd rather just do it once or twice if they had to than do it that way. So I agree with that. I also think I, I try to break training into two things. There's, there's functional skills and there's conditions and they're two different things. But I think you need to learn functional skills without the conditions first. I think yep. you need to learn, uh, you know, learn how to do a, a, a belt conversion on SCBA uh, in a room, you know, learn how to do it with your fire gloves on. Then you learn how to do it with a mask and, and gear on. Then you learn how to do it in zero visibility and you learn how to do that. And I think that the, the skills have to get their own merit um, because then the conditions are, and, and, and answer your questions, Trevor, or your what you're talking about, um, the, these training buildings that we've been traditionally training in are um they're horrible because it's always a 15 foot run to the door it never makes sense right. to hook up any kind of rip pack to anybody those floors are perfectly smooth to drag people there's no furniture there's nothing nothing in your way the doors are wide open you know the visibility is great um you know everything you hell we all know the building you know so uh, i think you know one of the problems is the functional skill of doing a mass conversion or doing something like that it literally makes no sense in those types of buildings um, to most firefighters, you know? And, and the problem is they have to learn that because firefighters also will tend to go to their lowest, um, the, the easiest thing, you know? So if snatching you out is the easiest thing, it's the only thing they really focus on. Now, now all of a sudden you're 30 feet inside. So I'm a big fan, fan of the container box training because it gives you the conditions. So you, you teach and learn the functions and then you put them in the conditions where they're actually really hot and your neck's burning and things are going on and you're trying to get people out and they're really in a, a, a you know, a four foot hole or whatever it is. So, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the FDTN style training. Um, I think that stuff is really good because it's really, really good on conditions. And if you can, if the guys can handle the conditions, it's real easy to see what functional skills they don't have. That's right. easy to fix. Um, it's not easy to fix if they can't handle the conditions. You know, that's a totally different thing. So I just try to, I, 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 in my mind, I try to split it different. And I, the last thing I'll say, Trevor, is I really think reps are, are sometimes more important than full gear. I, I have a lot of instructors that say, man, always wear your gear. That's the way you're going to operate. You know, but I'm like, no, no, no. If I can get a guy to throw a ladder, do a high section ladder throw 10 times with his fire gloves and his helmet on, that's much better than doing it once with full gear on. You know, I think you got to get your reps in for those functional things that you do. And then you add the gear because now it's not three unusual things happen at the same time. So I've been trying to kind of break it down in my training a little bit more where you, you take care of the functional stuff first, then you put the fire gloves on, then you take the vision away. And then finally, when we put them in conditions, that's where we're going to sink to what we already learned. And as long as we can handle the conditions, which some, some people don't do well with the conditions, that's a whole nother deal. But if they do do it well, the conditions, then they just pick up on what they already learned and stuff. So that's kind of my thoughts about all that. Uh, to be honest with you, fixed training buildings are horrible. 
Um, they're laid out stupid. They don't usually have hallways. Um, you know, they, the, the people are used to them. They know what they are. Um, and I just, I'm not a big fan of them because it's great for a firefighter one class or very basic class. Um, but it gives you nothing really advanced. I think at the end, Bobby, I'll, I, pro- I probably won't do it justice, but, um, one of the things that Bobby, I know you've said it many, many times over the years is to illustrate your point was just like the football analogy that after a game Monday, you're watching game film, what went right, what went wrong, what can we do better? What can we do the same? And you're doing so many dry runs, and by the time that that next game you know comes up the following Sunday, you've run that that one play. You probably run fifty or sixty times, not in full football gear. You might have done a no no pads drill, then pads, and so you build up to it. It's that crescendo that gets there. So it's that repetition, and it just happens to be that's the uniform of the day that you're doing it in. Um, and you basically one of the things I want to kind of come back to that you had talked about, which I think is vitally important, is. Um, you know, a lot of us have SOP driven operations. That's something that's become, you know, very, well, pun intended, I guess, standardized in the industry. But also think, like you had said, it's very important to be able to empower your folks and push that process down to the lowest possible level where they know that, you know, they can make a decision. They're, they're authorized to make a decision. They're authorized to make bad decisions, but they're not authorized to stand there and not make any decision whatsoever. If yeah. it's a bad decision, we'll talk about it. We'll see a way to improve it. But, you know, they should be able to make a, a good quality decision based on their, their training, their background and something. And we, you know, we can talk about refining that decision later on. So this is where I want you guys to maybe uh, throw your viewpoints out on this as well. Is, and my department's no different. Ocean City, we had the SOPs. But is the SOPs being your playbook. This is your general playbook as far as how we're going to generally attack this situation. The situation doesn't play by the same book that we do. We're the only ones who, who adhere to that book. So what are your thoughts about being more mission-driven than SOP-driven or the SOPs as a support function of the mission, but let your folks know that the mission is the most important. So if that if your crew leader, your lieutenant, your captain goes down, something happens, that operation continues because someone can step up into that role. So what, what are your guys' thoughts on that? So I, uh, it's funny that you mentioned that because my chief and I, my district chief and I were having this conversation. Uh, SOPs, it's a double-edged sword. They're great because everybody knows it's at least for us. It's outlined. It's broken down into four tactical, uh, I guess, structures. So you have your residential structure, regular size we're not talking mansions right regular residentials uh commercial structure box store or strip malls uh garden apartments or apartment buildings and then high rises so it does not talk anything about hybrid buildings uh you know parking garages with residences up top or like you know townhomes or all these different hybrid buildings that we have. And we are so specific in our SOPs that we we have seat assignments and order of arrival assignments. So our radio traffics, if you ever get a chance to listen to some of our fires, is very minimal. It'll be, you know, the engine company gets on scene, engine one arriving on scene, give your scene report, and whatever line they're pulling, they're going in. The second engine will get there, all they will say is engine two, second engine. And that's it. Everybody knows what that engine company is doing. If you're the officer, you have a specific role. If you're the driver, you have a specific role. If you're sitting on the right jump or the left jump, you have a specific role and a specific tool assignment for that type of structure based on the order or arrival. Now, this is great for your bread and butter, the four categories. But what that does is that what happens when we go second alarm and it doesn't outline those SOPs for that's the second alarm units, or we have the, the hybrid type building, you know, the chiefs that are commanding that fire, they came up through the ranks and maybe they never had a hybrid fire, a two alarm hybrid fire. So in their head, they, they don't know. Now, if you don't explain the whys early on, and understand fire behavior and, uh, you know, uh, building construction and, you know, proper vents and, and all of that, you're not going to be able to mitigate that situation. 
it's not going to happen. So I think it's a double-edged sword having SOPs. It's great for the majority of the time. For most of the time, statistically speaking, it's great. But for those uh, oddball type fires you have, if you don't, if you don't add additional training or education behind the SOPs, then they're not that operation is not going to be successful. No, I, I would agree with you completely on that. And just to take it a little bit further, when I said about being your mission based, the SOP to me gives you a it gives you a skeleton, it gives you a structure. And this is going to be that 90 to 95 percent of the time how we're going to operate. But, um, you know, I, I know I like to try to go on a priority basis. And same thing when, when I worked in Ocean City, we had um, you know, the, the first engine shall second engine shall first engine. Um, we were in a unique situation where we bordered another state and sometimes we'd be working with a completely different fire department from a different state in the north end of our city that they didn't have our SOP. They knew what our SOPs were, but they had their own subset. Um, that second truck may or may not be able to do things. So pushing more on a priority basis to say, let's just pick something like a, a high rise. Um, if the first engine gets there and they blow past a hydrant, they didn't pick up their own water supply, something something failed in, in that, you know, you shall do things A through Z in this particular order. Well, sometimes things get out of order or um, now we have rescue and we can't, you know, water supply became secondary, but we still, you know, we have to split our crews, whatever the case is. So going to a priority basis that when that next due unit came in and, if, if I was that first, if I was that first officer and I had five top priorities at a high rise call and I've got one through three done, but now my ass is hanging out. Cause I, you know, I got all my balls in the air that I'm juggling. Then when that next, uh, when that next officer would come up or the, you know, the, um, you know, battalion chief, district chief, whomever, and they can come up and I can say, Hey, I got one through three done. And I, okay, no problem. And they pick up where I left mm-hmm. off. So that was just another, um, method you're not saying one's, you know, you have to see what's right for your department, how you operate, what your staffing is, all those different uh, conditions, but being able to really, you know, have that priority basis and let your people take care of those priorities as well. And like you said, empower them to make those critical initial instant decisions. And, you know, if they need extra help that they should never be reluctant or scared to make a decision because it deviates from the rule book. Uh, I don't like calling the SOP manual or SOGs the rule book because the rules are meant to be broke, but it's, it's a guideline. It's your general playbook, but look, look at any sporting event, you know, does the ball always get thrown to the right receiver or to the right player? And, you know, something happens where someone else has to pick up and you know, the, the rule book changes. So, to me is being able to be dynamic enough um, you know, to make those changes, but also that your people feel that they have you know, not only the capability to do it, but they're not going to get, they're not going to get you know, jacked up for you know, doing something that they weren't supposed to do. Oh, look, Hey Bobby, I was getting ready to send out a silver alert for you, buddy. Okay. <laughs> yeah. My battery, my battery died on me. Sorry. <laughs> You got to you got to feed that squirrel in that little habit trail that's running your electric up there in Delaware, buddy. <laughs> so, and um, basically, one of the things I missed um, all the good stuff. You you did. We we solved all the problems. We're we're done with the show. <laughs> we're we're quitting early on this one. But um, what one of the other things I want to talk about too, with um, especially kind of going back to you know the written the SOPs is. You know, having that fire ground discipline also, because we all we all want to do, you know, we all want to do fireman stuff. That's that's our nature. And I always called it like a, if I was an instant commander, I always called it like the two, two, two rule. If I said, OK, I don't want you to go any further than this. Um, they said, hey, chief, give me two more minutes. And you turn around and they're two feet closer to the building. And there's two more people in the line than there were before. So <laughs> let's let's talk about uh, you know, a little bit when it comes to being assigned to writ or any function on the fire ground, um, you know, how you, I call it 360 degree leadership. You have to be able to communicate all these different directions, but um, you talk to us a little bit about fire ground discipline, your guys' thoughts and uh, you know, viewpoints on that. Yeah. So th- it's l- like everything. Discipline is difficult. No matter what, no matter what you apl- apply to personal life 
or you know if you want to eat right if you want to work out if you want to you know not drink or whatever the case may be discipline is difficult you have to train at it you have to practice it and a lot of times it's it's even harder when you don't have help and the help in that situation is the company officer uh, or your engineer or the senior man on, on that crew but it's not just seniority or rank i tell the guys also that if sometimes i am trying to be too aggressive or i don't see something or i'm doing something that i shouldn't be doing do my crew has carte blanche on literally telling me hey lou i don't think you should be doing that hey like do you, what are you doing or hey are you seeing this it's it's giving those guys that freedom like you talked about, but we practice that discipline. And how do you practice it? In training uh, at the firehouse. So to relate it to writ type stuff, uh, we we do we burn a bottle every day uh, at the firehouse, whether it's an actual like workout, like physical workout, or it's a training drill, or it's a functional circuit. We try to burn a bottle of air every single day in our gear on top of department mandated training and our normal training or whatnot. During that bottle, anybody on the crew is allowed to call a mayday at any time and just drop just drop down. And then from there, us being under stress with elevated heart rate from the workout or the, uh, the functional training, have to stop, assess the situation, and make a call either, well, he's really far away, I need a radio to the other guy to uh, take care of him, or do I just drop everything I'm doing here and run across the bay to the guy that's down and help him out? That's that's how I instill discipline and, and stress ahead of time. Now, it's not always successful, but... You know, the only way to get to the top, you know, you know, you're going to fail your way to success, I guess. You know, failing is not a bad thing. And uh, a lot of people think I'm crazy on the type of trainings I do and, and the guys that we do. But, you know, my, my definition of training is controlled failure. Uh, and I, so essentially, I want to fail in training. I want to try things uh, that may not work. I'd rather try them in a, in a controlled environment, you know. Uh, so essentially, tr- training allows you to have errors and mistake without the consequences of real life. So that's how I see it. Yeah, but doesn't that make you look vulnerable in front of your crew? Aren't you? What, aren't you going to be? Embar- I have no feelings. Zero feelings. Exactly. They don't make band aids for feelings. And you know, and to that end, I mean, uh, and Bobby, you know this as well. A lot of company level officers, especially chief officers, they don't want to engage in it because, like you said earlier, so look. You know, I'm not saying once was, but I was as ever was. Thank you. But um, you know, but to that end, you know, you got to be willing to be vulnerable and fail in front of your people because then you go, well, that's if, if they can do it, it's okay for me to do it because you're going to fail forward. You know, each and every time you're finding ways how not to do things. You know, I don't look at it as as fear unless you're not trying. So, but probably from that perspective, what do you think about the you know, the fire the fire ground discipline with the assignments specific to it, and then also you as an instructor, as an officer, you know, how, how do you, how do you recommend the fail forward? Um, I just, I, I think that you guys have already covered it. I think, you know, it's consistency, willingness to do things. I think uh, willingness to fail is, uh, is a good thing. Um, because I think a lot of times the fire service has a tendency to, to have a very, very large book of excuses um, you know, as you're having a conversation about the SOGs or SOPs, um, you know, that, that takes a commitment from the entire fire department, but there's no SOG. Well, I can't say there's no, at least not where I've been involved in. Uh, you'll not find an SOG on like how to do a third belt conversion or an SOG on how to pull a firefighter from a floor. Usually, you know what I mean? It, it's more specific, like the first two engine. Um, secures a water supply and stretches a line. The first two truck takes size A and B for ladders and, and things like that. So I think, I mean, SOGs are good because I know what the units are going to do, but they fall very, very short in the functional skills that we're talking about. 
um, like RIT and things like that, you know, how to get through a concrete wall, how to get through uh, security bars, how to get through things like that. Um, I, I think FDNY does, have, does a better job than most with those types of training manuals, um, but SOGs are typically short. Um, you know, I, I think everything that we talked about tonight is what, what I think is, is real, is, is that, you know, you just have to put the reps in. And, and I think the one key thing for, for teaching is people got to be comfortable that you're not putting them in a bad place on purpose. You know, and I think, and what I mean by that is not that you're putting them in a bad situation that you would find on a fire ground, but you're trying to embarrass somebody. And I think we, we always got to be careful about that, you know, um, to, to, to be respectful that, that, that we're all firefighters in this game. What just because I'm a Lieutenant, uh, doesn't mean that what the firefighters I'm working with are less important than me. And, and so, uh, it's not a, it, we're not in recruit school anymore. It's not about that anymore. You know, it's more about a mutual respect, um, you know, Trevor, you always talked about just, you know, you have a guy that works with, works as an electrician part-time. He's the guy you lean on for electrical stuff. You know, you have a guy that works in construction, you lean on him for shoring, you know, things like that. So um, I don't know if I'm answering your question or not really well, Travis. I just, um, uh, I missed part of your guys' conversation. But, um, yeah, just just be, um, what is it, be relevant and, and, and be um, sincere about what you're trying to do with your people. Um, and, and not trying to throw them under the bus, I guess. Yeah. Uh, the people are the best asset we have. They are. We have to invest in them, and we can only win this game as a team. We can't do it by yourself. Uh, you can't do it by yourself. It doesn't matter how, how badass you are or how, how strong you think you are. You can't. You will be humbled, and you will fail. We have to develop our team, uh, lean on each other, and use our resources. And just like you stated, you know, the most junior guy on the crew may be the most valuable team member for that specific type of emergency. So you're going to lean on them. Exactly. At least we should. You're, you're 100% right. Is Trevor back? He's pixelated. That Florida, that's that Florida internet. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and you know, and the thing is that 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 definitely will follow you in the fire ground. If they trust you on the training ground, then when the chips are down in a fire, um, they're going to trust you there too. And I, and I think, and, and and no different than when you're working with your guys, you're going to trust them. You know, do certain things, and so so that trust is built in training because we're just not enough. You know, we, uh, no matter how busy you are going to fires, those really sketchy, scary fires are very far and few between for everybody. And so the only way you can work that dynamic with each other is, um, you know, by, by training. I mean, it's just the only way you can do the, do the reps for those stressful things because, you know, failing at training is, is a stressful thing for people. So it, it induces a stress it's a little bit different than, you know, being in a, a horribly hot hallway, not knowing where you are. But it still is a stress, you know. So I think, yeah, I, I agree with. Uh, I think that that's the whole thing is it's a mutual trust that goes on, and that could spread to your battalion chiefs, that could spread to your assistant chiefs, that could spread to your chief. I mean, the more levels of trust we get between each other in both directions, I think the better off we'll handle those very critical times like a mayday. Agreed. You guys have me back yet? A little bit, Trevor. Still can't understand you. All right, um, hey Bobby, if, if you can if you can hear me, uh, we're almost at or right at the hour. Uh, if you want to wrap it up for us, Bobby, since I'm uh, a little bit pixelated, uh, have at it. <laughs> sure. Uh, listen, it's, um, I'm sorry I missed part of the conversation with my technological issues of a, an old Irish guy trying to work these technologies, but. Um, it, it's an awesome conversation to have. Um, and I, I love the fact that people are paying attention to, uh, you know, trying to do better jobs at, at handling uh, a Maydays. And uh, that's that's great. And, and RIT is one of those functions, you know. Um, yes, we're going to rescue most people from inside. And we'll talk a lot about that. But also to have those tools at ready. So if you need to make a if you need to make a window and a door, it's always nice to have the tool there. If you need to pull them off the second floor, it's always nice to already have a ladder there. So those the the proactive approach that you talked about, I think, is is absolutely critical, um, so that when the problem does come, 
you're not grabbing ladders off rigs and they don't have ladders on them because they already threw them somewhere else and that kind of stuff that things are ready. So um, it, we should have you back again because we I don't think we scratched the surface of things that we could talk about with you. Um, it's been just phenomenal having you on here. And um, I'm so glad you're you're pushing forward in the fire service. And I'm sure you'll have a full room out at uh, FDIC this year, brother. Thank you so much for having me. I'll come back anytime. Like you said, we, we did just scratch the surface and we did go into many different rabbit holes that would lead into other rabbit holes. But uh, but you know what? We have to talk about these things. That's that's what gets the word out. And that's how we, quote unquote, fix the problem is by sharing uh, information, sharing knowledge and passing it on. Uh, so. I'm I'm excited for FDIC. I appreciate you guys having me here. And uh, I look forward to talking to you guys again next time. Cool. And uh, so for everyone listening, thanks everyone for tuning in and listening to us. Um, It's always great to have everybody here and all the comments that come through. Uh, This is also going to be on a podcast and it'll be posted on our websites. And uh, so we look forward to looking. If, If someone's missed it, they can catch up to this at any time. And uh, with that, uh, we're going to sign out. And uh, thanks, everybody, for watching. Have a good night.